we're going to pray one more time. And you know, there have been some really tough things going on in the world right now. Uh, if you watch the news at all, or even if you get it secondhand from somebody else, there's, there's a lot. So uh, we want to lift up a, a few of those things going on and then just uh, kind of present our hearts to God. So if you just bow your heads one more time. Father, thank you for the children that were just dedicated, Eleanor Everett. Thank you that the Wilpergers and Swindons wanted to come up here and, and do that. That is just such a, a, a special thing. And we know that there are some awful things going on in the world right now. And we lift up uh, the families of soldiers killed in Afghanistan. We lift up uh, the Afghans that have died. And, and uh, God, just a, such a tumultuous time, people being displaced yet once again. I pray that you would speak into that situation and somehow use it for good, Lord. It's no surprise to you, but it is it saddens our hearts. And we just pray for your encouragement, your blessing, and that you would use it for good. Father, we pray for those uh, who have been struggling, struggling with the earthquake in Haiti, Lord, for the aftermath there and the, the fires in California and elsewhere, Lord. We, we just really pray for your mercy and blessing upon your people and that whatever uh, world difficulties are going on, that, that uh, you would indeed use it for good. And Father, we remember your servant Isaiah, who had a vision of your throne room, surrounded by mighty seraphim, with the train of your robe filling the room, and the seraphim calling out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And if we were there with Isaiah, we might cry out as he did, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people with unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king the Lord Almighty. Father God, we too are a people of unclean lips, living among people of unclean lips. And we come before you with praise for sending your son Jesus, who has taken away our guilt and atoned for our sin. And though we live among a people who call evil good and good evil and put darkness for light and light for darkness, we have a hope in Jesus. Through Jesus, we are redeemed and adopted. Through Jesus, we have a great inheritance. We need the hope that Jesus offers, and so does the rest of the world. So, God, we pray that you would speak into our community through the Spirit of Jesus, bringing revival to our hearts and minds, as well as those in our community, restoring relationships with you and with one another so that we can be a people known for our love. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we are going to continue in a series in the book of Hebrews called Christ is Better. And some of you might, it might be your first time entering into this and like, oh, great, I'm coming in the middle of a series. We'll, 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 look at, we'll be gentle on you. We're going to kind of ease on in here and, and help to give you an orientation. Um, Hebrews, Hebrews is uh, one of the richest books in the Old Testament, and especially for connecting the dots between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, it helps us to understand. If you ever struggle to read uh, and understand the Old Testament, maybe what you need to do is read the book of Hebrews because that actually helps us to understand the Old Testament better and what it all points to. So all that is in the New Testament stands on the foundation of what was in the Old Testament. Hebrews masterfully shows how what was points to what is and what will be. Here are our series goals. The goals for this series are that we would grow in the knowledge and passion for Jesus. 
Some of us have just knowledge or just passion. We want to grow in both of those areas. We want to connect the dots between the Old and New Testament, and we want to become better equipped to share our faith. We want to be strengthened. Some of us are struggling with various things, and this is an encouragement not to give up. And then we want to eat this book. And as I've suggested, either you rip the page out and eat it or just memorize it. Memorizing it's a lot easier. So we'll try Hebrews 11, 1 through 3 is the passage that we're memorizing right now. Now today's passage is uh, the precursor to the passage we're memorizing. It's Hebrews 10, 26 through 39, and it is a call for us not to fall away. It's a warning against falling away from our faith and is an encouragement to us, to grow in our faith and to endure in our faith, to persevere. And so we have a warning and an encouragement today. Now today is the fourth warning, and everyone's like, oh great, I showed up on a warning day, we have to have a warning. And hey, I have to preach it, so, you know. Um, This is the fourth warning in Hebrews, it's a warning against neglecting who Jesus is and what he has done. Uh, Therefore, we'll begin by reviewing who Jesus is and what he has done. How can we have a warning against something if we don't know what the warning is against? And so Hebrews 1, 1 through 4 is an overview for the book. If you want to know what Hebrews is about, you can read those four short verses and know what it's about. And here in Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, it says, In the passatives, living in an era where God is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And Hebrews goes on to describe what the Son of God is like. He's been appointed heir over all things. He was instrumental in creation. And there's a word called uh, eons in Greek. And as I was trying to grasp what this means, it's greater than just the universe. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what it means. Worlds, universe, time, ages. But, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it doesn't leave anything out. And he divinely governs the cosmos, sustains all things. The sun shares God's divine nature. As the sun God is, the sun is preexistent and eternal. So with that amazing description, given the nature of the Son of God, we should be absolutely astounded to read the words in Hebrews 1.3, where it says, After he, the Son of God, provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. We should be blown away by that. Think about how big and how powerful the Son of God is And yet, he provided purification for our sins. Why would he do that? Care about creatures so small. Hebrews 2.6, quoting Psalm 8.4, another Old Testament, New Testament connection, gives us the words for how we should feel when we really catch a glimpse of the greatness of the person and the work of Christ. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? And in Hebrews we learn that all the Old Testament law and sacrificial system, pages and pages and pages, if you ever read through that, point to something greater, a greater law that will be written on our minds and hearts, and a greater sacrifice that will be made by the Son of God himself, a greater priest who is the Son of God. To Jesus belong the throne, the scepter of righteousness. To Jesus belong the oil of gladness, the crown of glory, If Jesus is so very great, what does that say about his work of redemption? 
And we are heirs of that work of redemption. Before we can truly understand the warning and encouragement, we have to capture a vision of who Jesus is and what he has done. So this is part of a piece I wrote earlier. Considering God's extraordinary work and the eons, sustaining all there is, redeeming what has been made, um, and in his image, the Son, Jesus the Christ. So listen to this. If you were the creator of heaven and earth, about to create the world, how would you make it? Would it be flat, round, some other shape? Would it be wet on the outside and fiery on the inside? How would you light the place up? Would there be critters? We live on the thin crust of a spinning ball with fire at its center and iron in its core. The ball we live on dances through the sky with other ball-like planets and bright, fiery stars. It seems impossible that as we walk along the path or swim in the coolness of the lake that the earth is spinning faster than the speed of sound and traveling 67,000 miles an hour around the sun, far below lies its 8,000-degree molten core. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the sex web of crossing stars, these things? I hope you know. We are tiny people on a tiny planet compared to the immensity of creation. On the other hand, God designed us in such a way that powerful objects seem small in our eyes. It's hard to imagine the scale or power from what we can observe. If we were to stand in the sun, we would be burned up in less than a second because of its immense heat, but from where we stand, it seems like a small ball of fire in the sky. On a smaller scale, when we view the ocean from a distance, we cannot capture the power or the roar of the waves until we come close, and God designed us that way. Really big, powerful things seem small in our eyes, but that says less about us than it does about God. God uses seemingly small things to display his immense power. When we truly understand the immensity of who God is and what he has done, we'll ask the question David asked, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? Now, consider the greatness of salvation in Jesus. Consider the heavenly tabernacle, which I believe is far greater than the vastness of the stars, the galaxies, the universe that God created. What exists in the heavenly tabernacle is so great that it would blow our minds. So in last week's passage, speaking of this heavenly tabernacle of God's salvation, this is so we're big here, says, this is from Hebrews 10, 20, uh, 19, I believe it starts out. Since we have the confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, we're going to enter that heavenly tabernacle by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So brothers and sisters, we have the confidence to walk into that heavenly, holy place of God. That's what's being written here. We're not just walking in some little place and strolling in talking to Jesus. We're talking about a huge thing here. And we have confidence. We're told to draw near, unswervingly, holding on to a profession of faith and encouraging each other to love and good deeds. 
continue meeting together, encouraging each other in our faith. But our warning today is in contrast to all that. So the warning today and from um, 10, 26 to 27 explains and warns if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, the truth I just mentioned, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment of the raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. The warning's conditional, speaks of if, if this happened, then this will happen. If this is the scale of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, is, could there possibly be another way? We're talking about the Son of God here. He's done a far greater work than we can ever know, and if we ignore this reality, there's no plan B. There can't be a plan B. Think of the mighty plan A that is given to us. And what Scripture is saying is there's no plan B. We cannot walk into God's presence through the veil into the heavenly tabernacle without the intercession of Jesus and without the work that required his blood. What happened at the cross is historical, so historians agree that Jesus really did die on a cross, but theologians understand that this historical sacrifice was not just historical, but it matters for all eternity. God will judge the earth. That's part of his righteous nature, and we should be glad for that because there is evil and wickedness on earth. We can read all about it. Sometimes, some of us have experienced that personally in our lives. But God made provision for us to be forgiven so that we need not hang our heads in shame, that we need not think that we're disqualified to be into God's presence. And so we can be adopted as heirs of children of God, but if we reject this truth, then we too are swept up in God's justice. So this warning is grounded in the priestly sacrificial work of Christ. Jesus is the only way to God the Father, as it said in John 14:6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So this is a very serious matter. And brothers and sisters, this is, this is what I, uh, I, I uh, wrote this down as sort of a summary of a, a huge section of, of um, Hebrews, but um, the sun came down. Uh, in the Old Testament, Psalm 8 is the answer to Psalm 110. Um, he he identif identified the Creator, entered His by us, and became our high priest. Hebrews 10, 20, uh, 10 28. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled on the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as unholy thing the blood of the covenant, sacrificed them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So it's, it's, a, it's a dire warning. And here's the nature of the apostasy or the apostate that's being mentioned in this passage. It said, this person who has walked away from this goodness, though they knew about it and decided that, you know, I'm not going to go that direction. I'm not going to hang out with God's people. I'm not going to seek God. I'm going to follow my own way, has trampled the Son of God underfoot, the mighty Son of God, who is heir over all things, who made all things, sustains all things, has been trampled by our muddy feet. 
and profaned the blood of the covenant. You think, well, what does this word profane mean? Well, profane, uh, what is holy is set apart for God. And profaning means treating what is holy as if it were what is common. Like, what's the big deal with that? Well, if we are treating the blood of the covenant as common, though it is holy, we are treating as common the very means of our salvation. We should be seeking that salvation, but instead we're acting as if it's dirt beneath our feet. It doesn't really matter. We're being the judge and arbiter. This act of apostasy is a wrongful human judgment which carries eternal consequences. The blood of the covenant is how God makes us holy, cleanses us, and how he makes us his own. And then we've insulted the spirit of grace. The Holy Spirit has showed up in previous warnings. The Holy Spirit is active in Christ's work at the cross and acceptance of salvation or the confirmation of that truth. And so this is an ultimate act of apostasy. So that's the warning. Jesus is our sovereign king. Jesus has died on our behalf so that we can be forgiven. We need not live in shame or fear or anything else that we can, we're completely washed clean. No matter what has happened in our lives. And if you ever doubted the power of that salvation, think about how great the one is who made the promise. This is an amazing work of salvation. But we can't act as if this is one way and, you know, maybe we'll go that way, maybe not. Well, it's, there's incredible consequences for the, the path that we walk on. Now, here's the encouragement. I know you're waiting for this. Maybe you're sleeping. All right. Here's the encouragement. Remember those earlier days after you'd received the light, when you endured great conflict full of suffering. This is Hebrews 10.32, by the way. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Now, some of you might remember this passage is being spoken into the lives of people who are being persecuted under Nero. So these people know what it is to have their possessions taken away. They know what it is to be slandered, maligned. In the past, believers received illumination, knowledge of God, of the gospel. They experienced the Holy Spirit working in their lives. This understanding of God's faithfulness is what gave them the strength to persevere in the hardships that they faced. On the other hand, they, or on the one hand, they personally faced public insult. People reviled them. You know how the culture starts going a certain way, and if you start speaking against the way the culture is going, people are going to say bad things about you, and that was what was happening to them. On the other hand, they suffered indirectly because those they cared about were also treated that way. So even if you didn't get slammed, somebody else you cared about might be slammed. Verbal abuse was meant to silence them, but instead, in the past, they came alongside those mistreated and even imprisoned, except the loss of their personal belongings because they knew they had better and more lasting possessions in heaven. By the way, all the people this was originally written to are dead. So what about their possessions? The ones who went for the eternal possessions were the winners in this game. 
In these promises, God gave them faith and hope, and their faith was based upon God's faithfulness. Now, faith is in style all over the place. Everyone, you know, they'll stencil believe, they'll stencil faith, but when you do a very different thing, faith is based on the finished work of us. That's it. The Son of God is great, and so is the work of his salvation. So in this group of people, the author is writing, hey, in the past, you have been faithful. You've gone through great trials. Look back at that. We'll look at other objects to inspire us for our faith, but look in your past at when things were going well to remind yourself of how you should go in the future. Have you ever experienced that yourself? Have you ever looked back and said, hey, this was a better chapter of my life than the one I'm in right now? Well, let's go back and look at that chapter. What were you doing right? What was God doing in your life? How was God working in that time? And what should you do? What should you do change? And this group of people were saying, hey, you guys were slandered, you were reviled. People were taking your property away. This was happening to your friends. And yet, you trusted in God's promises. You believe that the reality God promised is greater than the reality you experience today. Your future is more real than your present. And the foundation of God's faithfulness is stronger than any other type of security or comfort or pleasure you could seek here on earth. Do you have a time that you could look back and say, this was a really good time for me to look at? I was seeking at that time. I was in a good spot with God. Maybe you never have. Maybe that's in the future. But it's one place to look as you're seeking to move forward is your own faithfulness in the past. And then I want us to rethink about suffering, hard times, and perseverance. Some of us think, well, if we... If we're doing what God wants us to do, then everything's going to be rosy, right? And Romans 5, 1 through 6 sort of explains that in addition to the fact that God might call us to hard things that have difficult consequences, God works in our hearts that way too. Romans 5, 1 through 6, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but get this, we also glory in our sufferings. Why? Well, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. Character, hope. And this hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us. You see, at just the right time, When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Hebrews 10.35, So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you'll receive what he has promised. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we must believe beyond a shadow of a doubt 
that God has greater treasure for us than children and spouse can have value than what God has already promised to us. And we need to cling to the treasure of those promises. Hebrews 10.35 reminds us of the confidence we have to enter into God's presence through the blood provision has made for us to enter, enter into God's presence through that great heavenly tabernacle. And what is required of those who believe is perseverance in believing what was promised. We need to hang in there. We need to endure the hard times and endure the hard times with joy because God is with us. We're not doing this by ourselves. Christ will return in the meantime. Our righteousness is grounded in our faith. So coming up uh, is a whole chapter on the heroes of faith. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 is person after person who acted faithfully and sometimes with sordid details. The thing I love about Scripture is that it doesn't just take the highlights of someone's life. It oftentimes takes the lowlights too. And it's helpful for me because I know that I mess up time and again, and you know you do too. And so we can read about these people's lives and go, oh my gosh, this person Although they endured difficult times and although they messed up many times, they kept their sights on God and they will receive the promise. They only received in part what they will receive in full. So that's coming up in Hebrews 11. This passage ends with Habakkuk. Now, a a few weeks ago, we had someone speak on Habakkuk. Uh, It's only three chapters. It's in the Old Testament. And uh, so the allusion here is from Isaiah and Habakkuk, and Habakkuk was a prophet that said, you know, everything is really messed up in my country right now, and, and God, why don't you do something about it? Maybe you prayed that prayer yourself. And God said, yeah, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to send the Chaldeans to destroy and take everybody prisoner or kill the rest, and, and that's my solution for justice. Habakkuk's like, whoa, what's up with that? And God said, you know, this, I'll judge the Chaldeans too. But justice will come. And so Habakkuk was like, what am I left with here? And he ends this book of Habakkuk with these words. He says, this is Habakkuk 3.17, which um, the end of this passage is an allusion to, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive Fail, fields yield no food. The flocks be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stall. Yet I will rejoice in God. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like a deer's. He makes me tread in high places. Along the same lines, we end our passage with these words. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back, but we do not belong those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. Though the crop fail, though the bank account's empty, though the car breaks down, though my relationships break down, though my health breaks down, through whatever might take place, The righteous will live by faith. And whatever we have in the future is greater than what we experience now. And whatever hardships are in front of us, we can endure them with joy because God is with us 
through the Spirit of Jesus Christ. As we walk away from this passage, I want us to walk away with perhaps this one thought. Uh, you know, if you can never trust a preacher with numbers, but uh, one or more thoughts. Um, but this, this idea that God is warning us, and maybe that warning provokes something in you. Maybe there is a direction. Maybe you've been fading off. Maybe you haven't been part of the body of Christ. Maybe you're, you know, you look back, you say, oh, there, you know, there's a time when I really should look back and, and encourage me for what's in front. But I think that that all points to a greater truth that we need to persevere in our faith. And anything worth doing is worth doing well and worth hanging in there for. And this is the thing that has the most worth of all. So why wouldn't we give our lives and work through hardships and trials and difficulties and encourage our brothers and sisters who are having a difficult time? Why wouldn't we give all of us to God because we have received not only such a great salvation but such a great inheritance for what he will do in the future. Will you please bow your heads with me? Father, uh, thank you for your word. It is living and active, uh, sharper than a double-edged sword. And I always think of uh, it being a, a sword that can swipe planets out of the sky and also do careful work like a scalpel on our hearts. Lord, do that work for us. Help us, help us, and to have the, uh, as a people, have joy trust you for your promises, your faithfulness, and for our future. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.